Amen. Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we thank you so much. We thank you for Jesus. And that is our prayer today, that you would give us Jesus, just as we sang. Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege and the honor that it is for us to be called followers of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And this morning, uh, we pray, Lord, that you would change us from the inside out. That through this worship, through your word, that you would mold us into the men and women of Christ that you've called us to be. That you would help us put away our pride and come before you with humility, knowing that we need you. We need Jesus. And so, Lord, that's our prayer this morning that we would be open to put ourselves aside and truly accept what Jesus has for our lives. So help us to become who you want us to be through Jesus. We thank you again and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Good morning. Take your Bibles and I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 4. So we're still in the New Testament. Galatians uh, is in the middle of a bunch of books with I-A-N-S, ends in those four letters. Uh, So try and find Galatians. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians is just a few books before that. It's a larger book, so hopefully you won't have too much trouble finding it. Um, So 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and Galatians chapter 5. Now as you're turning there, let me tell you a story. A story of romance. Um, I tell these stories now. My wife and my, my two sons have not moved to uh, Scottsdale yet. We've still got a few weeks. So I have time to tell stories about my wife before she gets here. So let me tell you the story about the day I proposed to my wife, the, the day that my wife and I became engaged. Um, we'd been dating about a year, um, and I had worked very hard and saved up money and bought her a ring, and, and it was time. It was time that we made it official. And so I took my wife to our favorite restaurant um, there in the little town that we lived in in Canyon, Texas. Um, I took her to this fam- f- uh, great restaurant. They had the f- best food. We just loved going there, but as a poor, you know, uh, post-college uh, you know, with a, a full-time job, didn't have a lot of money. We didn't go to this restaurant very often, and so it was a real treat to take her there. So we go to this restaurant. Um, we, we're enjoying our meal, and, uh, and towards the end of the meal, um, I said, oh, babe, I gotta, I gotta go to the bathroom. So I stand up, and I go back to the bathroom. Now, back up for just a moment to a few hours before my wife and I went on that date. Um, I had gone to this restaurant and made arrangements to surprise her with this engagement. And I made these arrangements for this, uh, some of the waiters to come out after I'd stood up and gone to the bathroom for some waiters to come out and start singing her happy birthday. Now, how many of you like to be called out and sung to on your birthday? Yeah, there's like three of you in this entire room. You account for 1% of the entire population. And as you get to know my wife, you're going to find that my wife is introverted but can function in extroverted scenarios. So she prefers to be to herself. She she doesn't like being in large crowds like I do, um, but she functions very well in the crowds. Um, But she hates 
And when I say hate, I'll come back to this. I don't know a good way to describe it. She hates the whole birthday singing in the restaurant thing. She has physically threatened me when we go out on her birthday that if she was sung to, there would be bodily harm to me as a result. So I'm taking a risk, mind you. So fast forward again to the dinner. I stand up, I go to the bathroom, and I wash my hands, and I'm getting, you know, I'm I'm all nervous, so I'm, okay, I can do this, and I'm shaking it out, and I'm shaking it out, and I, I come around the corner of the bathroom, and her chair, the back of her chair faced the bathroom, so she didn't see me. And as I come out, I see five waiters walk across with a a little brownie with a candle in it, and they start singing happy birthday to my wife. Now, my wife's birthday had been three months prior. (laughs) So she is completely caught off guard. For a moment, she's thinking, they're singing to the wrong person. And so as they're singing, what happens? When you go to a restaurant and everybody starts singing happy birthday, what do you do? What do you instinctively do? You turn and look at the person. And some of us start singing with them to embarrass them even more, right? Now, so people were starting to sing to her and everybody's eyes were on her. She's alone at this table with all of this attention, which she absolutely despises. And while she's distracted and everybody's looking at her, I came up behind her, I pull the, the box out of my pocket and I got down on my knee behind her, her chair. Now you're going, oh, this is nice. I'm physically at risk at this point. Please understand that my life was on the line by what I had just done. And so I'm on my knee and she gets to a point where she starts nervously looking around trying to figure out where the heck her husband is at, her future husband is at. And she turns and sees me standing, sitting, you know, kneeling down right there behind her and realizes what's going on. And of course, everybody in the restaurant's like, oh my gosh, I can't get you know. But all the eyes in the restaurant were on us. Everyone, the restaurant stopped in this little moment. And every eye was on my wife. As I, you know, said those words, and I'm not going to say the words here, but I said those words, and everybody just stopped and took notice. There was complete silence in that very busy restaurant that night. Do people take notice of you? Do people take notice of your faithfulness? That's what we're going to talk about today. So take your Bibles And turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Now, if you're here visiting family for Thanksgiving, welcome to First Southern. We're so glad that you're here with us. We are coming towards the end of a nine-week series on the fruit of the Spirit, which is found in Galatians chapter 5. And so we want to read on that first. We want to touch on what the Bible has to say about the fruit of the Spirit. So Galatians 5, we're going to start in verse 16. And it says this, Galatians 5, verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, 
so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now look at what verse 22 says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, a.k.a. patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, thinking about the fruit of the Spirit, remember what we've been discussing today or over the last several weeks. The fruit of the Spirit basically is our vaccination against the fleshly desires. Those sinful temptations that we have in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit makes us immune to those fleshly desires. Because if we're filled with these nine characteristics, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, if we live in those nine things, the works of the flesh have no room in our heart. And so rather than focusing these nine weeks on listing out sins, we can instead list out the way God wants us to live and eliminate any sin from our life. That's how we gain victory, is living the way Christ wants us to live. The idea here is rather than being uh, focused on what God is against, let's focus on what God is for in our lives. So, that's where we've been. That's what we've been discussing. So far, we've covered love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and last week was goodness. And this week, we're focusing on faithfulness. So, what does the Bible say about faithfulness? I'm going to give you several passages, and if you're someone who takes notes, you can write these down, you can study them throughout the week. Um, but these passages talk about godly faithfulness. So the first one is 1 Corinthians 4, verse 17. Now we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 4 here in a minute, but this is later in chapter 4. So 1 Corinthians 4, 17 says, That is why I sent you Timothy. So he's talking to the church in Corinth, and he's explaining, this is why I sent you Timothy. He says, why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Now look at what it said about Timothy. What was Timothy's, how did Paul characterize Timothy? My beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Faithful child. Now think about that for a minute. If you think about the word faithful in this context, is it talking about Timothy being a believing person? Or would you lean towards looking at this word and go, no, this is talking about Timothy being a trustworthy and reliable person in Christ. Keep that in mind. The next passage that I want to look at is 1, Timothy, or 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And it says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. 
this verse sound familiar? This is a very famous verse in churches. You hear this preached a lot. And actually, there's a cultural statement, a phrase, an idiom that's a misinterpretation of this, uh, this, this passage. Um, but look at it. It says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Look at this next statement. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God is faithful. Now, does that mean when we think of faith, we think of belief? But does God need to believe in himself? No. God is perfect in every way, shape, and form. He doesn't need to have faith in himself. He's perfect. So this means not that God has to believe in himself, saying God is faithful. It means that God is trustworthy. In other words, when temptation comes into our life, we can trust and rely on God because of his faithfulness, because he's so trustworthy that he's going to provide us a way out from that temptation. He's never going to corner us or allow us to be cornered in temptation. He's always going to allow a way away from that temptation. So, next passage, Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 says this, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant of the Lord. Again, this is that same idea. Faithful minister probably does not mean believing minister. It probably means that he's reliable and trustworthy. Now, the last passage that I'm going to look at before we get to our main passage in 1 Corinthians 4, the next one is 1 Thessalonians 5. Verses 23 and 24, it says this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Now again, here this passage is clear. It's talking about God being faithful and he explains what faithful is. He says he will surely do it. We can rely, we can trust on what God says he's going to do because he's faithful. So, what does faithful mean? Over the last several weeks, I've given you the Old Testament and New Testament understanding of certain words. And many times you've heard me say, you know, in this case, our English language doesn't do it justice. I'm going to flip the tables a little bit here because the Greek understanding of faithfulness doesn't do it justice the way English does. For their one word, for the Greek word of faithfulness, we have many words that, that talk about the various nuances of this one Greek word. In the Greek meaning, this one word can mean anything from believing in something to trusting in one's reliability. So it can mean anything from, I believe mentally and emotionally in some concept, or it can, it can mean, I trust Pastor Josh to do what I've asked him to do. And believe me, I ask him to do a lot. So the idea here is that in English, we have a lot of different words that mean faithfulness, or that, that convey the one word of faithfulness that the Greeks had. 
So here in this passage in Galatians 5, looking at the fruit of the Spirit, what specifically does faithfulness mean in Galatians 5 in the fruit? Well, here's what it means. It's not so much talking about believing in God. It's not having faith in God in a believing sense. It's talking about being a faithful person in the way you live your life. In other words, in Galatians 5, the meaning of this word is that we are to be a reliable and trustworthy person. And if you think about it for a second, that makes a lot of sense. Because think about the other, gift, the other fruit of the Spirit. Love. Isn't that a characteristic that others see in us that we live out in our lives? Yes. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Then you get to faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of the nine fruit are basically ways that we live our lives. So to say faithfulness is belief kind of goes against the other eight. It doesn't make sense in the flow of the fruit of the Spirit. So here, the Greek meaning, the way it's in context, and you can actually do a a word study on on a Bible app or whatever, you'll find that the way it's laid out in the Greek uh, text means not belief, but trustworthiness and reliability in a person. So that's what we're talking about today. So I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And this is where we're going to spend some time this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And this is what Paul says to the church at Corinth. He says, This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ, and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been, a, been given a trust must prove faithful. Now think about that for a second. If you were given a large sum of money by someone who is still alive and said, I want you to take this money, I'm going to go away, and I want you to use this money for good. If you didn't use that money the way that person intended you to use it, you would not be considered faithful, correct? If he gave you instructions and said, I want you to use this cash, this deposit, this money, I want you to use it in this way, and you went and did nothing with it or you did the opposite with it, you would prove yourself to be unfaithful. You're not reliable. You're proving to not be trustworthy with the gift that had been given to you. And so that's the idea that we have here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. But catch what we're being given here. Look back at this at at verse 1. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and those, look at what it says, those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now, what are the mysteries? Because Paul uses this phrase uh, several times through the New Testament. He talks about the mysteries of God. Basically, the mysteries of God is this, that God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect and sinless life on this earth. That's a mystery, right? Think about it for a second. Can you imagine 
living a life completely without sin, never making a mistake, never being disobedient, never going against God's will. I mean, we as flawed and sinful humans can't even grasp that concept. That's a mystery to us. So God sent his one and only son to live a perfect sinless life, born of a virgin here on this earth. Again, a mystery. How is a person born of a virgin? That's not even physically capable. It's not physically possible. It's a mystery. So sent his one and only son to live a perfect sinless life, born of a virgin. And he ministered for years on this earth. And during his ministry, he taught us the true intentions, the true desires of God the Father. And then, towards the end of his life, he was betrayed by one of his own students, one of his own disciples. And he was sent before the religious leaders. They accused him falsely, convicted him wrongly, and they sent him to die on a cross. And here's the greatest mystery. The death on the cross, the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ saves us from our sins. Remember, go back to that idea that Jesus was a perfect, sinless person. And now he's dying and shedding his blood for those of us who are imperfect and full of sin. That's a mystery, isn't it? That anybody would be willing to die for any of us because of our sin. He dies on a cross to be the perfect sacrifice for every single one of us. And then on the third day, in victory over sin and death, he rises from the grave. And a few days later, he ascends into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty with all authority. And there will come a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That's the mystery that we've been given. So what have we been doing with that mystery? If we are supposed to be faithful stewards, if we're supposed to be faithful trustees of this beautiful gift that God has given us, what are we doing with that gift? Are we spreading that gift? Are we telling others about that gift? Are we serving so that others can experience the life-changing hope of that gift of Jesus Christ, the Son of God? That's the big mystery that we have here is why is it so hard to be faithful to God? Because let's face it, we all struggle with it. Every single one of us struggle. But I want you to think about something. Just like when my soon-to-be wife and I were in that restaurant and they came over and they started singing happy birthday and I came up behind her and I bent that knee And every person in that restaurant stopped and took notice. Your faithfulness can do the same thing with the world around you. Because faithfulness is rare, isn't it? Reliability and loyalty and trustworthiness, those things are rare in today's culture. So here's my statement for this week. I've got one statement. If you've been ignoring me this entire morning, I want you to just stop whatever you're doing and I want you to look up at me. I just want you to give me one, one sentence. That's all I want. And then you can go back to whatever it was that you were doing. One statement. And it's this. When you are faithful, it's noticed by the faithless. When you are faithful, when I am faithful, it's noticed by the faithless. 
those who don't know Christ, who don't know about His faith and His trustworthiness and His reliability on what He has said, when they see our faithfulness, they will take notice. You see, we are the conduit by which God reaches people. We are, according to Matthew 5, we are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. The idea being is that we are the ones who people need to notice, who need to see, so that we can show them the mystery of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And when we are faithful, it's noticed by the faithless. When we are reliable and trustworthy, when we are loyal, when we live our lives and people can look at us and say, if I ask them to do something, they commit to it, I know that it'll get done. If we are trustworthy and we are reliable, if we are faithful, it won't go unnoticed. Because let's be honest for a moment, there aren't many things that are more irritating Then somebody's saying, I'll go get that taken care of, and it doesn't get taken care of, right? But doesn't that happen all the time? Guys, I do it all the time. I'm your pastor, and I can guarantee you that I will let you down at some point, because I am a sinful person. There will come a point where I will let you down because of my lack of faithfulness. Am I perfect in being faithful? Of course not. Are you perfect in being faithful of course not we all fall short sooner or later we all will at some point I'm going to break the reliability that you have in me I'm not going to return a phone call and did I do it on purpose no but sometimes we fall short but if we live our lives intentionally as best we can to be trustworthy and reliable to the world around us, it will go noticed. People will see it because reliability, trustworthy, faithfulness is rare in this day and time. When I proposed to Jana, people noticed. It was a big deal. And people realized that pretty quickly, right? Imagine being in that restaurant that evening. And they're singing happy birthday and you're like, oh, it's happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Blah, 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 I'm ready for this to be over. And then as you're watching, you see some guy walk up behind the young lady sitting at that table and take a knee and pull a box out. What do you do in that moment? You stop whatever it is and you go, I want to see this, right? You take notice. We, when we're faithful, people go, stop, I want to watch this. I want to see this. Because they have something different. People will realize that there's something unique about how we live when we live a faithful life. Now, I think the obvious question is, are we faithful? Can people trust in us? Let's be honest, can God trust in us? But I want to turn that question around a little bit. Because I think, are we faithful, doesn't actually get to the root of where we're going this morning. I think the real question is, why are we faithful? So go back to my wife. I love Jana with all of my heart. She is everything to me. Uh, There is nothing more important than my wife and kids outside of God himself. And so 
when I live my life as a husband, there are certain things that I do and don't do as a husband. You know, I don't flirt with other girls. I, I don't I, I do things intentionally to avoid weakening my marriage. I do everything I can to strengthen my relationship with Jana. That's how I live. But let me ask you something. Do I do that because I feel like it's my duty as a husband to do that? Do I live my life as a husband and do the things that I do to protect my marriage? Do I do those things because I feel a compulsion to do them? I have to do this. Or do I do those things because I say I want to do these things because of my love for my wife? Why do we decide to be faithful? We don't do it because we're obligated by God to do it. We do it as an outgrowth of our love and desire for our Savior. We are faithful people because He's faithful to us. And we love Him for it. We love the fact that he loves us. And so we are faithful out of that love. That's where faithfulness should come from. So rather than asking, am I a faithful person? Start asking the question, why should I be a faithful person? And focus on the love that you have for the one who died on a cross to save you from your sins. That is what we should be asking ourselves. Jesus wants us to be faithful let me close with this. There are two groups of people or two groups that God calls us to be faithful to. First off, God wants us to be faithful to Him. When we say, I commit my life to Christ and I make Him Lord and Master of my life and I will do everything I can do to serve Him, God says, okay, will you really do that? Can I trust you to do that? Because here's what that means. So God wants us to be faithful to Him. He wants us to be reliable in what we commit to Him. And then secondly, He wants us to be faithful in our lives with others. Others need to see that we are trustworthy and reliable. And so, go back to the other question. Are you faithful? And where does that faithfulness come from? Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we thank you so much. We thank you for how faithful you are to us. We thank you, Lord, that no matter what we're doing, no matter what's going on, if you say that you will do it, we can trust you that that is exactly what you will do. And Lord, we pray that we would be the exact same way. God, we pray that we would be faithful, that we would be trustworthy and reliable in everything that we commit to you and in every dealing that we have with others. Lord, help us to be the people that others notice, that others take notice of because of our reliability, because we are so trustworthy, because people can lean on us in their times of need. Help us to be that kind of people. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. And we lift all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Now here in a moment, we're going to continue to worship by singing a song. And uh, we're going to open up the altar. If you need to pray uh, or spend some time with God, we invite you if you'd like to come and, and pray here at the altar. Uh, if something has touched your heart this morning, 
Um, and maybe you need to make a decision for Christ. Maybe you need to talk with someone. Uh, Pastor Josh and I will be right up here at the, on this front pew right here. If you need to talk with someone this morning, please feel free to come up and do that. Uh, if you don't want to come up, but you do need to f- respond, you do feel like God is asking you to, to take some action, uh, grab a connection card and fill it out. And on the back or, or on the front, put, I would like to uh, have Pastor Chad contact me, and I'd be more than happy to do that. So let's stand and let's worship and respond.